Good morning, everybody. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. We are, as you heard Zach and Amy say, in the middle of a series called Our Outlook. And uh, I want to start by just making the observation, maybe the reminder for all of us this morning, that, you know, we're all becoming like the people we most closely associate with. Uh, maybe you've heard the, the idea that if you show me the five people closest to you, I've learned a lot about you and who you are and who you are going to become. And the same goes for me as well. We are the kind of uh, amalgamation of the people that we are closest to. And so when you think of that truth about human nature, few things are as instrumental to our growth as the church family that we choose to surround ourselves with, the kind of community that we plant ourselves in. So when it comes to who we're becoming, it's not just about what or when, just goals and resolutions, but who and how and with whom are we doing our lives. And so we're spending this month exploring just that, but in a very specific way. Uh, it's kind of our jam around here to listen to Jesus, pay close attention to his stories, his conversations. And we're doing that this month, specifically doing that with the lens of this question in mind. Who are we as a church, as a people who call Outlook our church home? And what we've discovered so far are really these four truths keep coming to the surface. We are a people who live and worship genuinely, who serve and lead justly, who share and give generously, and who invite and welcome joyfully. This is a wonderful description of what Jesus seems to be pointing his followers toward in terms of the lives they live and the community they form together. Now, we've seen these truths through Jesus' convo with a woman at a well, through his parable of the Good Samaritan. And today, I feel led to step back and explore this whole reality through what undergirds it. Kind of a 30,000-foot view as we live in worship, as we serve and lead, as we share and give and invite and welcome. We can zoom out and see the ultimate landscape we're operating in a deep, spiritual, powerful reality that shapes us as a community. So we're going to do this by listening in on a conversation between Jesus and a religious leader named Nicodemus. We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. If you grabbed a Bible from the Bible carts in the back or in the comments, we're going to be on page 725. If you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, write your name in front of one of those and take it home. It's yours to keep. But whether you're in your Bible app or your, your own Bible or a Bible from the cart, we're going to be in John chapter 3, starting at the beginning of that chapter, page 725. It says this, Now, there was a Pharisee, that's a religious teacher, religious leader in Jesus' day, a Jewish uh, religious leader, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing, speaking of his miracles, if God were not with him. Now this Nicodemus, man, he was very high up in the authority structure that was the Jewish faith. That's where Jesus is operating in, in his time and place in history. So here Jesus is, this young controversial rabbi, and he's causing quite a stir. 
So Nicodemus, who's kind of part of the ruling structure, he comes to Jesus at night because he's not sure he wants to be seen with Jesus. That would get a lot of people talking. Jesus had gotten his attention, and Nicodemus couldn't help it, though. He needed to know more. He needed to size up Jesus. I'm here to let us know we all do. We all need to come to terms with who Jesus is. In human history, what it, what it means to our spirituality, ultimately our own human lives, who is Jesus? Nicodemus made the effort, pushed through, to sit down across from Jesus and have this conversation we're about to listen in on. He needed to know more. He's like, here's what I know. You seem to be from God. No one can do the things that you're doing if that weren't true. But I need to know more. And that might be you this morning. You've heard about Jesus. You've gotten some impression, maybe from his people, maybe some good impressions, maybe some less than good impressions. Maybe you grew up in church a long time ago, and now you're, you're thinking about checking it out again. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by Christians, and now you're kind of dipping your toe back in the water wondering, should I give uh, up on this whole Christian thing, or should I give it another try? I want to encourage you. Focus, as Nicodemus is, on Jesus let Jesus reintroduce himself to you. Even maybe right now in these next few words that we're going to get to share together, don't give up on him. He has not at all given up on you. Amen? Verse 3 now, as we keep going here, Jesus uh, replies to Nicodemus, very truly I tell you. In other words, I'm serious when I'm, when I'm, in what I'm about to say. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now, that could equally be translated born from above. Certainly, it's, so it's talking about a spiritual rebirth, being born a second time, being born anew. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter really quick with Nicodemus. I think he sees that Nicodemus is a sincere seeker of truth. And he's like, I see that in you. Here's some truth right now. I'm just going to cut to it. No one's going to see the kingdom of God, meaning the reality of what it means to live God, the, the life that God has given us as our creator to us, his children, unless they are born spiritually, born a second time. What God wants to see happen in human lives, what we need, and what Jesus makes possible, that's what he's talking about here. He says to Nicodemus that following him is like being reborn, born a second time, born anew. Now this kind of talk doesn't uh, end with Jesus. Uh, his followers in the early church kept that exact word picture going because they were experiencing it. Check this out. Apostle Peter, years later, writing a letter to Christians, uh, we get to now read today, said this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Let's say that together. We have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. A little later, he says, For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. In other words, there's a life that we couldn't live. We were unable to live. We were dead to that possibility. And then, thanks to Jesus' Word landing on us, we come alive to that. The Apostle John writes in, um, uh, in his letter, everyone who believes, and I, I'm using the amplified version here, it's a, it sometimes is a really handy version of the Bible that kind of uh, unpacks certain words to really help us see what they mean. So, 
1 John 5, 1 in the Amplified says this, Everyone who believes with a deep abiding trust in the fact, that's a good description of belief, everyone who believes with a deep abiding trust in the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed, in other words, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is born of God. That is, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for His purpose. It's a really great description of the truth that we're unpacking here this morning. So before we get back to our story of Nicodemus, we want to just get a firm grip on what we're talking about here, this important first point. Following Jesus, becoming a Christian, being born again, to use Jesus' language here, however you may want to say it, it is more than a decision that we make. It is more than a religious exercise And it means more than just going to heaven when we die or getting our prayers answered while we're here on earth. We're talking about a new life, a supernaturally changed life, being reborn. Now that's a reminder to those of us who are already believers. And it's an invitation to you, if you're not yet a believer, That what we're inviting you to when we invite you to life in Jesus is not a set of religious exercises that you got to perform. It is a new life, spiritually, miraculously, amazingly transformed in Jesus. If you want to learn more about that, you can always go to outlookchurch.org slash yes. You can also get there by scanning the QR code on the seat back in front of you. That'll start a conversation with one of us pastors. We'd love to be able to have that conversation with you. As it says in John chapter 1, to all who believed him and accepted him, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. That's what we're talking about. A birth that comes from God. And why why am I taking a, a moment here to kind of step back and remind us of this? Because this is the ultimate undergirding reality that defines us as the people of God. We are people who've simply begun to experience this rebirth. It informs and drives everything else that we do. That we could be children of God. God as our Father, not our taskmaster, not the school principal, not even the absent watchmaker who winds the whole world up and then lets it go, but our intimate, loving, caring, present Father. That's what He wants with us. So we, our people, as a local New Testament church, we are simply people who are exploring and experiencing this reborn life. Everything flows from that supernatural, miraculous, amazing reality. Now, back to our conversation and why it's important. Jesus was moving Nicodemus from what has been to what needs to be. Let me explain. Verse 4, Nicodemus comes back with uh, this question. How can anyone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asks. He's taking Jesus a a bit literally here. Surely they can't enter a second time into into their mother's womb to be Born. And, and we would agree, right? Of course, that's ridiculous. But you can sense Nicodemus's panic and confusion. I want to see the kingdom of God. In fact, I, he would probably say, I've devoted my life to that. But being born a second time, this thing that you're talking about, Rabbi Jesus, I, I don't know how to interpret that. How am I supposed to accomplish 
that. And that's really the driver of what Nicodemus's reaction, his first instinct is, how do I do that? You, I, I'm used to have, being given things to do. I accomplish those, and that's my kind of take on what it means to be religious or spiritual or faithful. And this is telling us something important. Jesus is laying out spiritual realities. This is a God-driven spiritual work that's happening. It's not just something that Nicodemus can accomplish. It starts with God, this rebirth. So what does this mean to us as we consider who we are as a church? Well, it's, I, I think it's interesting that Nicodemus is asking the how question. How do we do this, or how do we approach this, or how do we come to understand this? And I think every local church asks that how question too, in one way or another, either overtly or, or simply one way or another, what the way the, that church does life together is their answer to that how question. And I think it's a big deal. So Jesus was going against the trend and momentum of religion or or what faithfulness to God looked like in his day. Because in that moment of time, sitting across from Nicodemus, what what faithful religion, uh, so to speak, or faith would look like would be knowledge, religious adherence, and piety, and that would result in hierarchy and control, right? He was a member of the ruling council, and your closeness to God would have been... um, determined by how well you kept the rules and how much scripture you knew and and that kind of thing and which ended up creating over the centuries leading up to this conversation quite a hierarchy of who's close to God and who's not who's in and who's out and and all of that and so Jesus was move beginning to move Nicodemus from that kind of world into more of a God-driven spiritual uh, reality in which supernatural things happen in our spirits and hearts and we're supernaturally changed, not just uh, through our own human effort. Now, what he has to say here, I believe, now also goes against some trends and momentums uh, uh, that are true of the church and religion in our day. They're not the same, but what Jesus has to say, always eternally relevant. Whatever Jesus is saying is relevant to every day, including our day. So let me geek out here for just a second and talk a little bit about the time in the society, the culture we find ourselves in, and what Jesus is saying here and how those two things inform how we should be as a church. The 20th century, the one we just finished, right? Hard to believe you could say that was the last century, right? The 20th century was marked by industrialization and technological advancement. If you think about the world we live in from 1900 to 2000, and the difference in that world, and the things that drove what happened in that century. Industrialization and technological advancement. Now, this ends up elevating the values of people and organizations who are efficient and with predictable, quantifiable results, all of which require a high degree of control. And so uh, these values have, have risen to the, to the surface of being the highest and best good that we, if we're efficient, if we're effective, uh, if our results can be predicted and, and measured and quantified, all of that is good uh, because we want to, you know, kind of crank out as much productivity as possible. And this has seeped into everything now in our thinking from education to agriculture to food production and yes, to churches. In the book, Slow Church, which is kind of a contrast to fast food, or there's a a movement called the Slow Food 
movement. So this book is called Slow Church, and it's asking us to rethink a little bit about where we find ourselves as the North American church in the 21st century. It's co-authored, actually, by someone who serves at a church right here in Indy. Um, The authors write this, so I'm going to quote from the book. They say, Western Christianity's symbiotic relationship with industrialization has led to attempts to circumvent the messy or inefficient facets of faith. In other words, over the last century, it's become far more normal for perhaps churches to get caught up in this idea of let's give me the checklist, give me the things I need to do, and let's crank out disciples in this efficient, predictable way that kind of feels a little bit influenced by industrialization. They go on to say, many churches come dangerously close to reducing Christianity to a commodity that can be packaged, marketed, and sold. Now, we talk a lot about that uh, every now and then here at Outlook, the idea that churches are not supermarkets where we shop for our religious goods and services. And right now you're shopping at Outlook, and some other time you might shop at some other church if something, if uh, you just make that decision, right? That, that instead, churches are meant to be communities, families, places where we put down our roots, where we hold each other accountable, where we learn to love. It's not just a place where we consume the goods and services that most please us. And that's what I think they're referring to. Reducing Christianity to a commodity that can be packaged, marketed, and sold instead of cultivating a deep, holistic discipleship that touches every aspect of our lives. So spoiler alert, this is who we would like to be right down here at the bottom. If you were to ask me or any of us uh, elders or pastors here at Outlook what we're aiming for, it is that we would cultivate a deep, holistic discipleship here at Outlook, that you are genuinely growing in your faith, that you are learning to love Jesus and each other every day. Amen? So this goes against kind of the idea of three easy steps to a better life or seven secrets to success or four keys to connection or on and on and on. What's more normal in our culture, and sometimes even in our American church cultures, we want what sounds clever or profound in 280 characters or less. We search for what can move or inspire us as long as it looks good in 1080 by 1080 pixels. And we're addicted to activity, we're addicted to consuming, some people might call it the cult of speed, and and like we've said, of efficiency and effectiveness. The idea that there's an app for that, shouldn't this be easy? which ends up turning Jesus into a false plug-and-play Messiah that I can simply add to my life to provide good vibes or maybe a religious cover for my greed or my lust or my pain or my anger or my dysfunction or my heartbreak. We just kind of plug Jesus in and add him to our already going full-bore life. That's not Jesus. And in these scenes, no one's experiencing what Jesus is talking about here. Spiritual rebirth. Birth and babies are messy. Spiritual rebirth is too. Growing in Christ is messy. Not efficient. Not clean or easy. And so this rebirth that Jesus is talking about, that makes there's a couple things to, to point out here. That makes us siblings. Right? Not just consumers who shop at the same place. So we're reborn 
And when we're reborn, we gain relationship with God the Father and with others who've been reborn as brothers and sisters. That's, that's what informs us as a church. In fact, this is called the church. That's what a church is. In other words, we're not alone. We have support. We belong as we believe. Now, the other thing we can observe about birth is just like physical birth, all birth aims for maturity. Our spiritual birth is where we begin, but just like our physical birth, it sets us on a course toward growth and maturity, right? We delight when our kids are babies, but we delight when we watch them walk, and we delight when we hear them talk, and then we delight when they can begin to feed themselves, and then we delight when they can cook for themselves, and then someday they may even feed others, right? This is maturity. Spiritually speaking, the, the, the parallels are right there for the observing. We move as we mature from being easily angered toward patience and grace. We move as we mature from thinking only of our own needs and considering the needs of others. We move as we mature from only being fed by others to feeding ourselves and eventually others. And so all this to say, at Outlook, we lean into the slow and the messy, the inefficient and the real. In fact, I've come to believe that when a church makes this whole thing look slick or seem easy, it unknowingly communicates condemnation to us normal human beings. Well, it doesn't come as easily to me. My life seems a little messier than that. What's wrong with me? At Outlook, we take a patient approach. Not frantic with activity, but focused on Jesus. If the kind of church I'm describing is the kind of church you'd like to learn more about, let me invite you to something we're calling Membership FAQ. It's the first Sunday in February after second service. Appetizers and child care are on us. It'll be less than an hour, but it'll be a fun conversation just to learn what it means to put down roots in a local church. It'll be a fun time to just talk about that, really. Have a good, good time together. Now, I can only imagine uh, the wonder Nicodemus must have begun to feel as Jesus described these things to him, as he opened up this whole word picture and this amazing supernatural reality of what God really does want to do in us. Once again, I think Nicodemus is a God seeker. He knows a lot about God, but what a wonder it must have been to hear that he'd been approaching this backwards and that God actually had something far more life-changing in store for him. So let's listen in some more on Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth, he's setting up a dichotomy here. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In other words, it makes sense that we're born first, water and flesh, our physical birth, but there's a spiritual reality to our lives. We are souls, we are spiritual beings, and that physical birth does not equal our spiritual birth. We are born still with a need to be born toward God. Natural birth, sure, then spiritual birth. See, because we start spiritually stillborn. The news about Jesus lands on us, stirs us to life, a second birth. Now we begin to become who we were always intended to be. So what is he saying to Nicodemus? He's saying, hey, look, don't try, receive instead. Let it come to you, because it's a gift that God wants to give. I didn't ask to be born, I was born, right? Jesus is now, through, God through Jesus, is now ready to give me spiritual rebirth. I don't have to work that up, 
I can receive that, and he will do it in me. He only asks for my yes. He can do the rest. So there's no need to try to jump up and reach God and all your religious uh, piety and all your rule-keeping. Jesus is saying, man, he's sitting right here in front of you. And that's true for you today as well. We believe, we're a community of people who supernaturally, miraculously, amazingly believe that Jesus is present with us by his Spirit. And that he can hear the faintest thought of a yes. And he'll take you on that yes. And he'll begin to work with you and rebirth you in in that yes. So what does this mean? What does this mean for someone who's been walking with Christ for years? Let me just remind and encourage you to enjoy and embrace being alive in Christ. You have been reborn. You are now getting to experience from the inside out what a new life looks like. And it's not over. In fact, it's just begun. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, you're still early in the process. So enjoy that. Embrace that for what it is. The other thing, because if we're a community of people who've said yes to Jesus and are warmly welcoming those who are considering saying yes to Jesus, it means that we understand that as people, we're all on this same journey. You've been reborn. I've been reborn. We're unpacking what that looks like. There's so much I have yet to learn about what that looks like. So do you. But here we are, learning about what we're leaving behind, understanding what it means to walk, what we're walking toward, what we're learning, what we're embracing. We're on this journey together. We are siblings who are learning what it means to be reborn as children of God. There's a lot of grace there, a lot of patience there, a lot of love there, a lot of humility there. That's the way it should look and feel. Jesus says then to Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now Jesus is adding a little little additional word picture here for us. He's saying, don't be surprised that God can't be put in a box. Don't don't be surprised that, that I'm saying something that might blow your mind a little bit. I mean, shouldn't talking about God kind of blow our minds? You know? And I know I've said this many times, but it, it, if, if I can know everything about God, that God is far too small and not worthy of being followed, right? You know, there should be some things about God I struggle to understand. That would only make sense when you think about it. I'm not nearly smart enough to begin to think uh, that I could understand everything about the creator of the universe. And so Jesus is saying, look, there's something more, there's something deeper. You sense it in the mystery of even the wind, mystery that seeks to live in you. We seek to embrace that mystery. At Outlook, we don't deny that. We seek to know and love God, not to contain Him or limit Him. So for us, it's less about creating a whole menu of programs that we think are cool. It's far more about curating places and spaces where we can draw near to God, open His Word, love each other, and learn from Him. We look around, we see a supernatural, spiritual dynamic. Even as we were led in worship this morning, we believe that we're praying to by song and speaking with and adoring a a very real God who is very present with us and who has very much changed our lives. So this is a supernatural, spiritual dynamic, amazing, impossible to explain, yet absolutely worth celebrating and diving into world. That's what we see when we look around at church. A miraculous place where God is moving, changing lives, stirring gifts, and healing hearts. 
So in this conversation with Nicodemus, we've heard Jesus boldly promise that in him is new and true life. We now are children of the Father. And now we also see this supernatural mystery that the Spirit blows into our lives and fills and renews us so that we can become the people God always intended. The men, the women, the mothers, the fathers, the daughters, the sons, the students, the leaders, the thinkers, the lovers, and the children of God He designed us to be all along. That's what rebirth looks like. That's what we get to enjoy. So who are we as a church? We are a people who are reborn. We are a reborn people who live and worship genuinely. Why and how? We're actually experiencing new life in Christ and becoming new people. From that comes this worship that's genuine. We are a reborn people who serve and lead justly because we're maturing in Christ and we see that it's not all about us and our convenience, but that others need us. Maybe to lead a group or a team or to serve in ministry in some way. We serve and lead because we're maturing as children of God. We are a reborn people who share and give generously because we now realize uh, what a joy it is to bless others and from all we've been given. We choose to invest in a church family that we love and we, see, we want to see it thrive in mission and in ministry. We are a reborn people who invite and welcome joyfully because since our lives are being made new here, we want others to experience that. We're happy to introduce them uh, to this great life. That's who we are. A reborn people. This is our outlook. As we take the bread and cup this morning and consider the things that we've talked about, I want to just grab one other moment from the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. There's this moment in verse 9 where Jesus just says, I mean, Nicodemus says to Jesus after hearing about uh, what, what all, all that he has said, he goes, how can this be? How can this be? Jesus foreshadows then how this all comes together. He speaks of the cross and the resurrection that makes this possible. And in fact, at one point he says, the Son of Man, that's him, must be lifted up. That's on the cross that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. How can what we're talking about, how the spiritual rebirth, this wind of the Spirit filling and guiding our life, how can this be? This is how. A body given for us. Let's take and eat together. How can this be? This is how. Blood shed for us to make a new promise based on grace from God. Let's thank Him for it and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for the, this, this beautiful conversation, which we've only gotten to, to somewhat tap into this morning, between You and Nicodemus. Lord, we ask that you would help us to just see the, the beauty and to recapture the wonder of what it means to be spiritually reborn, to become the people from the inside out that you've always intended us to be. 
What a joy it is to see that happen in each other. To see our brothers and sisters flourishing and thriving and becoming the true people that you always wanted them to be. To shed the things that were holding them back, keeping them hurt and down. What a joy that is. When, when that is true, when that is happening between us, Lord, we know that church is a delight. Uh, following you is a joy. Because it, how fun it is to see you work in each other's lives. So that's our prayer, Lord. Keep showing that to us. Keep making it real in us. And we'll keep enjoying and embracing it. In your name we pray. Amen.